Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmer's Day, April 12th, 2021. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, Jim tells us the history of the Ohana restaurant at Disney's Polynesian Resort. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says there are two kinds of people in the world. The first is those who can reason from incomplete data. Anyway, it's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? <laughs> I'm trying not to read too much into it. Yes, it's a, it, I don't know. This, this reminds me that back when people thought Woody Allen was funny, there was a great joke he told once about somebody had found a footprint of his ex-wife, and based on that impression, they were able to reconstruct an entire dinosaur. <laughs> So yes, incomplete data. All right. I don't know where we're going with that, but all right. It's okay. funny. Yep. All right, Jim. Let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Scott Troy, FN Goofy, Ashton B, Dave B77, Special K12, and C Sternolio93. And longtime subscribers, Maruk1, RL Duval, and Z Dobson71. Jim, these folks are the dinner procurement specialists you see in wetsuits throughout the fish tank at Coral Reef Restaurant in Epcot. And that ensures maximum freshness and flavor for your meals. True story. But it does make so for some pretty disturbing moments at the Coral Cafe. People banging on the glass. No, that one. That one. <laughs> it's, like, it's like if David Attenborough could pick what you wanted for <laughs> dinner in his nature specials. Like if it was a combination show and, and it was a dinner show. Yes, that's where we're going with that. Yeah. Okay. All right, Jim, one other quick shout out we want to do, and that is to our listener, Chris Cox, who is a mind reading magician based in London. Jim, uh, Chris did a show for us yesterday via Zoom. And I have to say, I thought it was fantastic. He's a master of close magic. But the thing is, he was doing this over Zoom. Over you Zoom. Know. Yeah. Mind reading over Zoom. Yeah. I still cannot wrap my mind around it, but was just stunned by so many of the, the illusions. He was hilarious, for one. It's, it's oh, yeah. a fast-paced show. There were about 20 of us on the call. Afterwards, we all tried to figure out like how he was doing some of the tricks. And, and you know, some of them you can sort of figure out. But there were two, I think, that stood out. Mm -hmm. One was he had one of our team members pick a card and then asked her a series of questions like, I'm thinking red or I'm thinking black. And literally based on her visual expression, figured out what card in the deck it was. And he was right. Mm. And that's some incredible like reading people skills. Yep. But then the second one, the one we couldn't figure out, and I can't figure out to this, to this is he, he gave us four, uh, we had four photos mm. printed out on paper. And he, he told us to, um, to come up with photos on our own. So, and I did. I, I gave the same four photos to everyone mm -hmm. on the team. We ripped the photos in half took one piece out and then shuffled the rest of it randomly while Chris was talking. And then at the end, he said, you know, basically stop shuffling, take the top, take, take the one thing that was left. We were discarding things as we were going along, take the last piece of paper left. And it's, it's the other half of the thing that you matched. And the, and it was exactly the, the two pieces that I had matched mm -hmm. together. Like he reunited the photo and it was the same thing that was on his screen. And I still don't know how he did that. It, I mean, it must be magic. He's connected to the occult, and that's it. There we go. Okay. Anyway, if you folks would like to book Chris for a show, I think he's hysterical. He also has amazingly low rates. 
Mm-hmm. I would think for such entertainment, it's magiccox.com, M-A-G-I-C-C-O-X.com, and he's fabulous. Highly, highly recommend. Yeah, thanks again, Chris. All right, on to the news. Jim, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, we postponed recording the show for a day so we could watch Josh tomorrow's presentation about the future of Disney parks. He was in Disneyland yesterday with uh, Kevin, how do you pronounce Kevin's last name? Ooh. Feige? Feige? There we go. We'll the go Avengers guy. I'm, I'm butchering his name and I'm so sorry. Feige. So it was a 45 minute presentation. The gist of it was these three things. The first one, Avengers Campus opens June 4th. Just coincidentally, the Velocicoaster at Universal opens on June 10th. Things are getting kind of personal between the two giant theme park corporations lately. I'm shocked it wasn't October 1. <laughs> yes, yes, there we go. But that's my uh, that's my mm-hmm. own thing. But uh, thank you, Universal, for uh, making Disney open something earlier. Mm-hmm. The second thing, uh, Disney Genie isn't dead. Surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, but the third thing, and I think the thing that impressed all of us mm-hmm. at the end of the presentation, the thing that was astounding to me was that Josh DeMauro fired up what looked to be a working lightsaber. And I think for the first 44 and a half minutes mm-hmm. of this 45 minute presentation, I was like, this could have been an email. And then in the last 30 seconds, he fires up this working lightsaber, says, yeah, it's real. And that's the end of the presentation. And so for the last 30 seconds, I'm screaming to myself, what was that? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the uh, that's the intended effect. Yeah. But again, in the history of Imagineering, there are things like this. There are yeah. amazing illusions that you can do, but it's just sort of like, can you do that again? Yeah. In two hours. Well, that, that's the thing I was thinking, like, like how much of this, like, because he was outdoors mm-hmm. and the lightsaber glowed. And I was wondering, you know, were there any post-production visual effects added onto this? Because it glowed pretty bright for mm-hmm. something that was outside. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering that. But anyway, I mean, it looked, it looked cool. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Okay. Just interesting, out of all the news, that was the online chatter after the presentation. The interesting thing for me about this was that the original invitation for this event was hosted by Josh Mm -hmm. with Kevin, but also Leslie Evans, who is the executive research and development imagineer for Walt Disney Imagineering, was supposed to do a presentation. Mm -hmm. And then all of her stuff was cut at the last minute. No mention of her or anything that she did. And that, we only got notification of that a couple of hours before the presentation was going to happen. And my question is, is all of this was pre-recorded. Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, Disney sent out the invite. They picked the date. Mm-hmm. They picked the subject. They picked the time. Why at the last minute cut one third of the presentation? It, it reminded me of D23, but even, even more unusual because they told us what they were going to talk about and then decided not to. Supposedly, one of the reasons that the Disney forward stuff is a little vague is Disney wasn't ready to talk about that yet. That evidently there was a, I've been told it was the Los Angeles Times that was about to break the story and Disney wanted to get out there ahead of the news. So that's why we we have that piece of concept art that's just this side of the Zabruder film. They're building Black (laughs) Panther on the grassy knoll. And it's just, all right, whatever. 
Yeah. There's a certain amount of second guessing themselves and that whole notion of let's open the, the Avengers campus in Anaheim out ahead of the Velocicoaster because sure. now we know when Universal's going to do that. And it's just sort of like, we should get ready for an interesting summer like this. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, for example, we had Disney Marvel basically thumbing their nose at Warner Brothers and the Snyder Cut of Justice League by releasing an hour-long video of Baron Zemo dancing from the last episode. Of, I saw. I know, saw. Things are getting a little personal. So it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. I just, I just didn't get it. I mean, they, they, Disney picked the speakers. They picked the date. They picked the time. Right, they sent out the invites, and in the last minute, they're like, "Yeah, you know what? We're not even going to talk about why this one third of this presentation is now gone." Like, what? You did you didn't know this three days ago when you sent out the invites? Four days ago? We've seen the stunt Tronic. Oh, Spider Man. Yeah, I think it was that the Imagineering story where they actually just showed the stunt Tronic in the raw, you know, sort of leaping through the air, and to now finally see the stunt Tronic with its Spider Man skin on and doing an amazing Spidey pose as it flies through the air, it's like okay. Yeah. And in fact, they kept talking about you know the all of the amazing R and D things that we're going to do in the future. And can you get into specifics? Well, no, no. But <laughs> well, again, though, why bring it up? This is your own talk that you recorded. Yeah. <laughs> you you control all the editing on. Why? Yeah. You know. Well, uh, anyway, ignore the man behind the curtain, Len. Why don't you come on? That's uh, fine. That's fine. <laughs> okay. All right, Jim. Over in Walt Disney World, a couple of uh, big things announced this week. One. The replacement for Magical Express, this thing called Mirrors Connect, is, uh, is firing up. So Mirrors uh, Transportation is the current provider mm -hmm. of bus service between the Orlando Airport and Walt Disney World. So when uh, Disney decided to to stop running Magical Express at the end of 2021, Mirrors has announced this week this thing called Ma uh, Mirrors Connect, which will bring you from the airport to your Walt Disney World Hotel. No word yet on the rates or how it's mm -hmm. all going to work. My sense is um, it'll be competitive with their Mir's current shuttle prices, so around $25, $30 per person. Maybe they'll do a family rate, something like that. But um, anyway, so that looks like you'll still be able to get a bus from Orlando Airport to your Disney Resort. Jim, we, we all thought this was coming, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I still don't get it. I still don't get you had that, that half-hour, 40-minute trip to the resort and that that half hour 40 minute long trip on the way back for me it was always fascinating when the uh, as you were headed back to the airport on the magical express and they were selling you on coming back or doing it yeah. in cruise or you know just sort of like really you're gonna leave that money on the table it's like interesting i think this is just strictly a cost-cutting thing that's like we're paying mirrors you know x dollars to haul our guests around and you know what? We'll uh, we'll just charge the guests for it now. We'll just that that that'll be on the guests. So, okay. Other news: Club Cool at Epcot is coming back. Jim, all the free strange soda you can drink from the Coca Cola Company at Epcot, probably starting this summer. I was finally resting easy that nobody could sneak a cup of Beverly up on me again, and it's like, oh, oh my god! I had some last week. It's uh, you can get it at the uh, Coca Cola store at Disney Springs. And the question, why comes about you? Hey, my, you uh, had, my you had no Christina. household cleaner? Get over. I know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you needed an astringent for your face? There we go. Um, my sister did a challenge between uh, Aaron Foster and I on Instagram where we got the 16 soda sampler mm -hmm. and tried to figure out the country that it was from and the flavor. 
And I think I got 14 of the 16 absolutely wrong, which was mm-hmm. too right was pretty good for me. I think we, we Aaron and I both got Beverly right. Mm-hmm. And I think we, at the end, we just started picking Costa Rica for everything. <laughs> <laughs> China, Costa there Rica. That was pretty yeah, much it. You're going to be right once. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it was uh, – the funny thing was is we we knew, obviously, Beverly was going to be one of the clear mm-hmm. liquids. And there were like four or five of those. But you could tell just by the smell mm-hmm. what it was. And Aaron really likes Beverly, and I, I don't. Anyway. Yeah, well, again, you're a man with taste, you know, and yeah. taste buds. So The, uh, the other news, uh, Mouse Gear is officially coming back. To Epcot, I mean, it's sort of there now, but it looks like a target. It's coming back, Jim, and the name is Creations Shop. Remember how you have that theory about the room with the spinning wheel when they're naming Yeah, Magical Wishes Dreams, yeah. All right, we're now learning about the second wheel. First of all, credit to Disney for having a second wheel. I didn't even think it existed. (laughs) Okay. But this is the one where they've taken all the wishes, the dreams, any Disney-related name off of the board, and it's the generic wheel. So the creations shop, if you were at the mall, would you stop into the creation shop? You know, it sounds to me like a place where you would go to get scary puppets. I, I get that we now live in an era where dad jokes are, are a bad thing. So something like mouse gear is like, that's too on the nose. And But Creations Shop, does this fit in at all with the new Future World Neighborhoods thing? You know, That's oh, the thing. So I, are, the, are the neighborhoods dead? So yeah. the neighborhoods are Discovery, Celebration, mm-hmm. Nature, and then World Showcase. So Creations is... Well, I guess it depends on where they put it. If they put it where the current mm-hmm. mouse gear is, it's part of celebration. Okay. World celebration. So was this word scramble? <laughs> Get I, the effect of same letters as celebration, only like in a slightly different Eventually, will all of these names be like Disney ship names as well? Like, why isn't Wish on, on here? Mm. I don't know. It, it makes know. no sense to me. But you know, also, the, uh, the S at the end of creations mm. going into shop is really hard to pronounce. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. Okay. Well, we putting good money down on how long this name lasts? I'll give it a, a couple of years, but uh, maybe it'll maybe we'll change it between now and then, too. It's just like, okay, what's in it? Mm-hmm. Is it like the <laughs> Disney version of Build-A-Bear? I mean, yeah. not that Mouse Gear told you what you know what was in Mouse Gear, but... No, no. But, but again, it was a fun name. When you're on vacation at Walt Disney World... Meet me at something like this, a name like Meet Me at Creations. It's like, what is Creations? Whereas Mouse Gear, I mean, it was Mouse Gear because you walked up to the outside of the building and there was the logo and there were the gears. Yeah, Mouse Gear. But I mean, gear is, is slang for, for clothes, right? There and we so, go. Again, you got it work both ways, Len. This, right, right. I, 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 and the I thing don't. that I can't figure out too is like, if you think about the team that names restaurants, mm-hmm. they basically put the entire menu in the restaurant name, mm-hmm. Toledo Tapas Steak mm-hmm. and Seafood at Coronado mm-hmm. Springs Restaurant. Like, literally, that's everything you need to know about it, right? Mm-hmm. Or Regal mm-hmm. Eagle Smokehouse Craft Drafts and Barbecue. You know mm-hmm. exactly what's on the menu, right? There's no there's no sort of like, I wonder what they serve there. What's a creation shop? I still don't get it. It's like, it's two completely different teams naming these things. And I don't, I don't understand the overarching principle by which these things are named. Maybe there's not one. 
Maybe there's just not one. Maybe sometimes working from home is not a good idea. <laughs> you spend more time at the uh, water cooler with your colleagues. Anyway. There we go. All right, Jim, let's do some listener questions. Zach writes in with this. Uh, Hello, I'm looking for a couple of book recommendations for a Walt Disney World history or making of, please, as well as a coffee table book with lots of great photos from the resort. A recommendation for a Disneyland book or two would be appreciated as well. Thank you, Zach. All right, Jim. Mm. So uh, book recommendations on the history or making of the Disney resorts. So I have a couple of ideas here. Okay. I like designing Disney's theme parks, the architecture of reassurance. That's by uh, Carl Marling, editor. That one's really good. In terms of history of Disneyland, I really like the Disneyland story by our friend Sam Genoway. Mm -hmm. And then coffee table books. Toshin does one, right? A Disneyland book? Oh, yeah. yeah. You can hurt yourself trying to lift it up. But yes, it's yeah. a great book. And speaking of heavy reads, the next one on your list is a combination of great Disney history and, you know, you can build up some biceps. Yeah, the Mark Davis uh, in his own words book is also, I think, I think when I, that actually arrived at Amazon, it actually had a warning label on it, like, you know, <laughs> lift with your legs, not with your back. I'm not kidding. I think it actually did. Uh, you know, it was uh, it's that heavy, but those are the uh, those are the ones that I'd go with. No, 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 definitely. And again, that's Chris Merritt and Pete Doctor who did that one. Yep. A couple other ones to throw in the pile. I'm hearing very good things about Aaron H. Goldberg's "Buying Disney's World: The Story of How Florida's Swampland Became Walt Disney World." That came out in February of this year. You can't ever really go wrong with a David Koenig Disneyland history. And his most recent is the 55ers, the pioneers who settled Disneyland. That's from October of 2019. Because I'm, I love Disney histories that touch on p- people that, frankly, Disney doesn't like to talk about. Todd James Pierce's Three Years in Wonderland, the Disney Brothers, C.V. Wood, and the making of the Great American Theme Park. I almost picked that one. I almost picked that as well. It's a great book. Now, mind you, it's that's from the University of Mississippi Press. And also, as long as we're talking about big, heavy books that are definitely worth adding to your library, the holiday magic of the Disney Park celebrating the world from, I would say, winter to fall? Great, great book. But again, clear some space for that one. That's definitely worth chasing down. So hopefully there's something there you can work with, Zach. Awesome. Yeah, this is some good recommendations, Jim. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Here's an email from Bruce who says, I hope you can clear something up that's been bugging me for years. Whenever Disney makes a piece of media, like a comic or a book or a video game, set in or around a part of a Disney park, it's almost always set in or inspired by Disneyland, not Disney World. I first noticed this when the video game Epic Mickey came out. I was sure that since the first one was set in Disneyland, its sequel would expand in scope and be set in Disney World. But nope, Disneyland again. Is this a mandate from Disney that all media set around the parks has to be based on Disneyland and or inspired by versions of the lands from Disneyland? Is it just that a majority of artists creating these work are from Southern California and so reference their home park more than any other? It seems to me that if there were a mandate, it would be to base things on the most visited and most popular of their parks, Disney World. I know that Disney ties their movie releases to resorts or lands for the incremental increase in park revenue that it ensures. So why aren't more things set in Disney World? Jim? 
He's not wrong. I mean, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's those last two things right there. Yeah. So many creatives are based in Southern California and it's their home park. I would go you one further, Bruce, that it makes me crazy that whenever somebody talks about, oh, they're doing an update to Disneyland, it's, oh, great. You know, that's like, yes, they're adding something new to Pirates of the Caribbean or they're adding something new to the mansion. It's like, look, I get it. Get an Imagineer. You grew up going to the park. Those are your two favorite attractions. There are 40 other attractions in this park. Why yeah. are you not giving this some, you know, just the fact, you know. You've uh, been in Tomorrowland recently. <laughs> to give Kim Irvine credit. The Snow White Magical Wish, the redo of Snow White's Cherry Adventures. Uh Kim personally took it upon herself to fix what had been an operational issue in that theme park since the brand new version of Snow White opened in like 83. And that they deliberately created a scary cue so kids, before they got on the ride, you know, would, you know, oh, it's scary. Well, I'll bail out. But the fact was that it did about two thirds of the business it should have uh, right. because it was scary. And it's like, you know, yes, I get it for the the older adults who've been going to Disneyland since the 80s or thereabouts. You change the ride that I love. Then it's like, yeah, but you're not a parent with a five year old. Exactly. This is who this ride is really aimed at, this dark ride. And so get the fact that Kim took it upon herself to Snow White's magical wish and make it a celebration of the, the, the seven dwarves and Snow White and, and have an occasional witch jump out at you. The fact that she's made this thing more kid-friendly, I applaud her on it. But again, Kim, just when the guys come at you again and go, hey, I got an idea for Haunted Mansion, hit them. Yeah, just say no. Yeah. Just say no. I think it's the the thing that Bruce said, that most of the Imagineers are based in Southern California. And mm-hmm. to the extent that they go to any Disney park, they go to Disneyland. There you go. You know, you and go. that's that's what it is. But I mean, let's say the thing that mm-hmm. that is is true, right? Ever since mm-hmm. Animal Kingdom opened up, Disney World has been the better resort. Disney World is a better resort than Disneyland. Disneyland is version one, Walt Disney World is version two, right? And there's some attractions that are better in Disneyland, but overall, Mm -hmm. all things being equal, Disney World is better than Disneyland. And more people go to Disney World than to Disneyland. So why were these things not based on Disney World? There's the whole Walt walked there. You know, Walt was involved in the original version of the attraction. You know, you want Walt so badly, go dig him up. You know? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I'll be over here. I gotta <laughs> send those letters to Mister Testa. It's okay, a it's so. a it's a line from Saturday Night Live, isn't it? It's, there you, you go. Want, you want somebody, somebody so bad? Go dig him up. I there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I agree with Bruce. I think it's mm-hmm. everything's way too Disneyland centric when it comes to you know theme park media. All right. Charles writes in with this. This is Len. You talked about the harmonious barges in Epcot and how they're. They are to become water fountains during the day and the size of the water pumps you would need to pump out that much water. To me, perhaps, the most appropriate way to describe the amount of water the pumps would need to pump would be, and I'm sorry here, uh, Jim, my my voice is going a little bit, a deluge. My God, my voice, I can't believe it. A deluge of such magnitude that the world's greatest waterfalls flowing together for more than a million years would only just begin to approach its results. <clears throat> Sorry, Jim, I don't know what happened to my voice there for a second. It was very strange. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, it's back. Let me, let me a sip of water. I think I'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us about the history of the Ohana restaurant at Disney's Polynesian Resort. We'll be right back. Jim, Ohana currently closed... 
Polynesian Resort, but hopefully opens relatively soon. This show is going to be posting on what? Monday, April 12th? 12th, yeah. And I want to say Ohana opened April 12th, 1995. Really? All right. Yeah. So five and 21, 26 years ago. 26 years ago. And there's a lot of people who are chomping to get it at the bit. They're, they want to get back and chomp on some of those meat skewers. Mm. But this is kind of a fascinating restaurant. And, and in a lot of ways, kind of exemplifies how Disney World changes with the times and, and what's going on in the outside world. But to really understand the story of Ahana, we really have to go back to the start of the Polynesian. And I'm saying all the way back, Len, you know, back when we first saw the the real concept art for Disney World in 1966. And even the model at the preview center that opened in 1970 still had the high-rise version of the Polynesian. Did you ever see that? I have seen it. Didn't you and I talk about it in one of our live presentations. It sort of looked like a um, a resort, a Mexican resort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was supposed to be modern sleek. You know, in fact, Disney brings in Walter Beckett, the mm -hmm. gentleman who did a lot of, you know, the early design for Disneyland itself. And that version of Polly would have looked right at home in uh, 1960s, 1970s Honolulu. But as Disney's refining the plan, they're like, well, wait a minute, the contemporary, that's the world of tomorrow. And the notion that we're going to have a also a sleek South Seas-themed hotel, it's like, eh, mm -hmm. that's maybe not a good choice. By the way, Disney really leaned into this whole South Seas-themed idea land. In fact, if you, you actually look at the map, it turns out that the Polynesian is in the southernmost corner of Seven Seas Lagoon. So it is, oh. in fact, in the South Seas. But here's the thing. you know, As they step away from the modern take on the Honolulu of the 70s, 60s and 70s South, and they go with a, all right, well, wait a minute, let's, let's really celebrate the South Seas. So that's where we get the Grand Ceremonial House. That's where we get the Long Houses. The guys who were designing this thing, you know, the Mark Davises and were 60s and 70s. So uh, this is really kind of reflects, a, a, it's a very colonial take on the South Seas as in it is. the white man has come to this dark, remote, savage place and has tamed it. So you as the guest, as you're arising the Polynesian, you have the best of both worlds. You have the exotic look and feel of the South Seas and easy access to rum drinks. <laughs> Which, I mean, let's face it, is, is not a terrible thing to have. No, not at all. But And no aspect of the Polynesian Village Resort really leaned into this colonial concept more than the Popete Bay Veranda. This was the high-end eatery, which, by the way, was named after a Popete on the island of uh, Tahiti. That's the capital of French Polynesia. Okay. By the way, that's a overseas collective of the French Republic made up of 118 geographically dispersed islands at atolls uh, in South Pacific. So, Papete Bay Verandas is deliberately designed to celebrate French Polynesian. Its three key influences are Tahiti, France, and Disney. So, when it opens in October of 71, it's supposed to be the most sophisticated eatery in all of the Polynesian village. And men are encouraged to wear jackets as they dine on, you know, exotic dishes like... Really? Jackets? Jackets. But chicken pego pego, which is a marinated chicken breast glazed with a honeyed sesame sauce, which is then served in a pineapple half. God, the 70s presentation of food was just... Was there anything there with aspic? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is 
thing. You're not, you're not wrong. In fact, this is what kind of tripped up the place. As you're waiting for your aspect, uh, a small combo is playing in the corner, but it's playing South Seas inspired tunes from the 30s and the 40s. And Basically, what you hear on the Jungle Cruise at, uh, during the day? All right. Okay. okay, you got it. And every night, a group of performers who, who were doing double duty at the Polynesian Review. Yeah, the Lua, yeah. Yeah, they, they would hustle over to the Papite Vey veranda from Luau Cove and perform in the aisles. Wow. And that, in and of itself, was kind of the problem with the Papite Bay veranda. It, it didn't have a clear enough identity from the Polynesian Review. Uh, you know that, by the way, the original name of the uh, Spirit of Aloha Nightly Lua. I kind of like Polynesian Review, but yeah, what was so the Polynesian Review was bigger, sort of buffet-style food, but the other one was sort of customized, uh, more of a. Um, uh, well, you a were menu. picking. Yeah, you you were okay. definitely picking off of a menu of Papite Bay. This is the 1970s. America starts to get into kind of a health cook. It starts paying attention to the amount of butter that is, you know, used to prepare its food. And if you're a restaurant that serves things like a poached peach marinated in apricot brandy and then served with a strawberry cream sauce, all this calorie counting is going to cause a problem. Polynesian Village Resort is literally the mantra of the place. You know, the effect of tomorrow there'll be another day just like this one. So relaxed, sort of South Seas. Yeah, but at the same time, here's the Pete Bay Veranda, that the, the on-site restaurant where the staff gives you attitude and will reluctantly let you in if you're not wearing a jacket and then okay. yeah, serve, yeah, serve yeah. you rich, heavy food. And it's like, so again, there's kind of a disconnect. Okay, fair enough. I see it, yeah. Now, the thing is, what winds up saving the restaurant initially, it's kind of a patch on a bad tire, is the Minis Menehune Breakfast. Oh, Okay. Because again, you know, the combo doesn't show up till seven o'clock at night. The dancers don't show up till nine. This thing yeah. is standing empty during the day. Right. So they put a character breakfast in there, building on the success of the Empress Lily. Again, again, it was the same exact issue. You had a high-end restaurant that was standing empty in the morning, and they made it available for characters. And suddenly, they're making big dough. So yeah. Mickey's Manahudi uh, breakfast starts at the Poly in '77. Figures Mickey, uh, Mickey. Uh, Pluto, Minnie, you know, Chippendale, and they're all wearing, you know, Hawaiian shirts and grass skirts and lays. Runs from 8 in the morning till 10.30, and is as far away as French cuisine as you can possibly get. It's scrambled eggs, it's Mickey waffles, it's bacon. Even back then, it was the standard menu. It, no, the standard absolutely. Break. How about that? All right. And the only thing, really, that got you close to the tropics was the orange juice that was served in the assorted food on the buffet, which the kids totally ignored. Oh, so no spam? No spam on the menu? No spam. Ah, right. And the money that was raised in the morning by Minnie's Minihuni uh, breakfast is what helped keep Papite Bay uh, Veranda in operation until the late 80s. But then, as the 1990s arrive, times have changed, people's tastes, especially when it comes to menus, and more to the point, the kind of dining experiences they want to have, especially when they're on vacation, they've changed. And it's time now to reimagine this over two decades old dining experience for the Polynesian. Okay, no more, no more poached pears. No in, more poached uh, pears. No more or whatever. Okay, no more right. chicken pago pago. Okay, all right. So where do you go for ideas? And in this case, we have to make a quick side trip to Smoketown, Pennsylvania, where the Imagineers had become fascinated with a restaurant that opened in the uh, the late 1960s, and it, it, it's called The Good and Plenty. 
To this day, Len, it's a Pennsylvania Dutch country tourist attraction slash restaurant. The reason that Disney was fascinated by it is they handle huge numbers of people. It's a 750-seat eatery with like 150 seats outside. In fact, that's what really helped the good and plenty this past year during the pandemic. But buses roll in all day long. And on a typical day, they'll feed 4,000 people, Len. Jim, I'm looking at the menu and they have pictures of the serving sizes of things. And I've, I don't know that I've ever seen a pie <laughs> as large. Like, I'm pretty sure they, they, I think it was the Hubble Space Telescope <laughs> that took this photo of the pie in Pennsylvania. It's, well, and, and like, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, like a, platter of chicken. You've actually hit upon it. This is family-style dining, as in you're on a bus, you're touring Pennsylvania Dutch country, you stop for lunch at the Good and Plenty, and they march you off the bus, and you walk into this giant dining room, and they sit your group down at a table before you are oriented. Bang! You know, the bread and rolls are on the table. Bang! The drinks are there. And all of the food arrives in, like, 10-minute intervals. Giant platters hit the table, family-style dining. Like, the salad bowl looks like something I would put my laundry in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm fascinated by this. This is amazing. And I will tell you, having been to this place, the food is amazing. Oh, you've been? I've been. I've been. I, you know, in fact, I, the shoe fly pie was so amazing. And I came back blithering about shoe fly pie. And my <laughs> then girlfriend attempted to make shoe fly pie. And it was, you know, the Sargasso Swamp. She tried, Jim. She tried. She It came from a place of love. It did. It also, lots of sulfur, you know, which I guess is a form of molasses. But look at the size of the rolls. Yeah. But see, and now from a Disney point of view, what fascinated them was the fact that buses would pull in and 65 minutes later, the 40 people- Buses would, would pull out. People would be comatose. Yeah. yeah. Did I ever tell you the story of me visiting the Big Texan Steakhouse in Amarillo? No, no. So my, so my uh, the best family vacation we've ever had, I think I've alluded to this, best family mm. vacation the Testa family ever had mm -hmm. was a road trip to Las Vegas from North Carolina. So my mm -hmm. dad, my brother, and I drove out. It took us three days. Dad mm -hmm. drove most of the way. But we stopped off at the Big Texan Steak Ranch in mm -hmm. Amarillo, which advertised for 1,000 miles in either direction, 72-ounce mm -hmm. steaks. I did not try the 72-ounce steak, but I think I tried like one of the, one of the more petite 48-ounce like mm -hmm. Kansas City strips. Mm -hmm. And Jim, I ate so much meat that I remember getting – we rented a minivan. I got in the minivan, and honest to God, I unbuckled my belt, said goodnight, and I don't remember I, – I don't think I was awake – I was asleep by the time we were in the parking lot. Like I was, I was gone. Then, and I woke up in New Mexico. <laughs> like it was, it was, Holy it was cow. just done. Mm. It was fantastic. Yeah. So it's got to be like this at the Good and Plenty, right? Well, People yeah. get on the bus. Yeah. There's air conditioning. You're back in your comfortable seat. Yeah, a long day. Recline the seat, and then you wake up, and it's Delaware. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, remember, this place opens in 69. They do a big expansion in 71. They catch Disney's attention. And if we jump ahead to 74, when Disney is launching the Hoop-dee-doo, right, and right, yeah. the notion of the food hitting the table. Oh, right. The synchronized sort of like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. So Disney was already using this idea 
But at the same time, they were like, we could do more of that. We need to hang on to that concept. Now, uh, from Pennsylvania Dutch country, we travel to Brazil to the Rodizio style of serving food. The, the terrazzo, meat, meat on a stick? Meat on a stick. The Brazilian style of barbecuing where the food is prepared over an open fire. Oh, yeah, because that, that started in the 70s as well, right? Fogo de Chao, like, started in the 70s. There we go. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So you have this sort of Brazilian steakhouse. You have servers walking around the restaurant with these three-foot-long skewers of, of various types of meat. They're, they're pulled off the grill and then served warm and tender right at tableside. And so it, yeah. it's at the corner of where Pennsylvania Dutch and, and Brazil meet that the manager has found a hook for the redo of the Pete Bay Veranda, the Polynesian. Only instead of the good and plenty long farm style communal table, they envisioned the space where the dining room tables would look like would be arranged in rows and in, in, in a way that they'd look like long segmented surfboards. Oh, is that what that is? That's what you're looking at. All right, I never got that. Okay, fair enough. Fair okay, enough. and for the meat and the skewers, well, the, imagine you wanted the guests to see that cooking right in front of them. So, yep. uh, this is why Ohana—that's the name they settled on early on for this family dining experience because you know Ohana literally means family. So they're going to have an open kitchen, which at the time was the world's largest indoor fire pit, an 18-foot-long semicircular oak-fired behemoth. Yeah. Downside is uh, this sort of redo, very ambitious, not to mention incredibly expensive. So Pete Bay Veranda goes down uh, September of 94, and they basically strip the space to the walls to then create Ohana's centrally located open kitchen. Ohana opens at the Polynesian, April 12, 1995, immediately becomes a hit with all the carnivores who are vacationing at Walt Disney World. Yeah. Gone are is any hint of French colonial sophistication in its place, large open dining room with columns of carved tiki gods supporting the, the thatch roof. You know, the whole notion is we're creating a dining experience. So for those of you who've been here before and returned and returned because you love the place, which we'll do a quick walkthrough. So again, think about it. You go to the po podium and you're met by your cousin. That's a conceit. You're going to hit this eatery. Everyone here is family. So your servers are your cousins. So your visit to Ohana starts with a brief tour of the restaurant. You're walked by the open kitchen. So you and just coincidentally there lined up are the various drinks that dad can order. You're then taken by that 18 foot long semicircular fire pit where you get to see the skewers of meat and shrimp being done. Uh, then you're taken to the table and your, your party is seated. And, and then from this point, Len, we're back into good and plenty country. You know, it's yeah. an all you care to enjoy experience. By the way, when did all you can eat become offensive? Yeah, I know. Why is it all you care to eat? Like, what's the difference? Did you ever hear George Carlin did that amazing piece about how shell shock became battle fatigue, which became operational exhaustion and then post-traumatic stress syndrome? Sometimes we'll change words to try to make them less offensive. And, you know, the whole notion is like, all you care to enjoy, as opposed to all you can eat, you big fat pig. <laughs> yeah. Did people just take it as a challenge? I don't know. I get you know, just it, you know I, I'm a little concerned about your story falling asleep in the car and waking up several <laughs> states over. I definitely, I definitely took that as a challenge. Yeah, and I, and there have been times when I've been at Ohana and taking mm -hmm. it as a personal challenge to just sit there and get my what is it now? It's like it was fifty seven, fifty eight dollars yeah. plus gratuity yeah. plus tax. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was expensive, and so I was there to eat. You know, fifty seven, fifty eight dollars worth of, <laughs> worth of meat. But this is the problem, that, that the way they stack the deck, you can never do that. I mean, think about it. As soon as you sit down, the pineapple coconut bread hits the table. Yeah. And then it's bread and then salad. And it's funny you mentioned this because 
before Ohana closed, like in mm-hmm. the six months before Ohana closed, we were getting a ton of reader comments mm-hmm. about the fast pacing of the food at mm-hmm. Ohana. And so I actually went there with a stopwatch one time mm-hmm. and timed how long it took between courses. And honest to God, you're not, you're not kidding, Jim. The, mm-hmm. We sat down and within 90 seconds, the first mm-hmm. thing was there. And then every three minutes, mm-hmm. like clockwork, another piece of food arrived and we we could have been done mm-hmm. with our entire meal and out the door if we hadn't told people to stop mm-hmm. we could have been done in 35 minutes well this is what i'm talking about and we were full like we, yeah. I mean, we could be completely full and there mm-hmm. were people that, that were gone in 45. Mm-hmm. yeah brings me to an interesting controversy in johanna's uh the history that that when the restaurant first opened up you got a mesquite grilled turkey skewer. I'm so hungry right now just reading this menu, Jim. Okay. You got a, a, <laughs> a marinated you know, sirloin steak skewer. You got mm. a spicy peel and eat shrimp. And then there was also an Asian barbecue pork loin. And mm. over the history of the restaurant. Oh, wait, this so hold on. So it's shrimp, steak. I, I know where you're going here. This, this mm. is a time thing, isn't it? That's it exactly. That okay, they changed right. it to a sweet and sour chicken, a grilled shrimp, and the final skewer that came to the table typically was Szechuan seasoned sirloin steak. And a lot of people are like, well, wait a minute, where is the Asian barbecue pork loin? I love that. Yeah. And it was like one more skewer is literally three more minutes. If this place is so popular where we're trying to turn tables, just if we, we eliminate one skewer, if you multiply that over time, you get that many more people into this restaurant. They began doing a character breakfast, which yep. went from popular to crazy popular. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. It's, it's super difficult to get a reservation for that. Yeah, and then well, also uh, fireworks dinner was the other one. Oh, no, right? no, no. That's the other one. Get it, the fact that people deliberately try to get, what is it, a nine o'clock dinner seating to be there. <laughs> or, for you the- know, a five o'clock reservation and just eat for four hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you think we could stay here for four? I guess you could, but as long as you keep eating, yeah. But over the history of the restaurant, they started the character breakfast in the morning and went from popular to crazy popular in June of yeah. 2002 when, of course, Leland Stitch came out and moved the public's awareness of the name Ohana to the stratosphere. Right. Good point. And I've got to say, I've done, I've done the breakfast and I've done the dinner you know, recently, pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. and you can quibble about the cost, right? Mm-hmm. But the breakfast food is, was very good. I thought, it was, I thought it was good value even for the mm-hmm. cost then. Dinner, you know, I came away eating as much food as I wanted to eat. Mm-hmm. Is it worth $60 per person? That's a lot. Do I, would I do it for a special occasion? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the food quality was good. The service was, again, the service was fast. Mm-hmm. But as long as you you can tell people, look, I, you know, I don't want these things every three minutes, mm-hmm. you're fine. Yeah, I, I understand why it's popular. Yeah. Which brings us to today, you know, again, you know, kind of intriguing that the poly... You know, there's a whole redo going on right now. But Hold on, we, we haven't talked about dessert, Jim. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yes. The, okay. <laughs> so we're talking the, the infamous bread pudding, which is served with a banana caramel mm. sauce and vanilla ice cream. Keep talking, Jim. Keep talking. Mm. Well, but here's the thing. I would pay three ninety five a minute for you to describe this menu. menu. Go ahead. Now, <laughs> supposedly... People have been jonesing so much for Ohana. And again, it's, it's been closed since March of last year. 
that if you go downstairs now to Captain Cook, they've mm-hmm. actually begun serving the Ohana bread pudding there at that restaurant. Just as sort of a if you hear my microphone drop, Jim, <laughs> and the car start in the background, <laughs> just know that uh, you know. Just continue on. Okay, well, that, but again, so just wanted to put that out for those of you who are desperate to get back into this restaurant. But but at the same time, for me, what's fascinating is the fact that we're watching Ohana evolve in real time. And, and yeah. it, along with what's going on with the Moana-themed redos of the, the hotel rooms at the Poly, if we'd all been paying attention, we would have realized this was coming when in March of last year, and in fact, I want to say it was a week before the pandemic closed down the resort, they actually put in Moana-themed carpeting at Ohana. Oh, I didn't notice that. Okay, yeah. all right. So there we go. They're still trying to keep this restaurant front of mind, but at the same time, there is a Lilo and Stitch movie being prepped for Disney Plus, where mm. it's again kind of like Cruella, where we're, we're doing Lilo as a live character and Stitch is a CG, but he'll be back front of mind again. And so will Hana. But if you've ever been to Pennsylvania Dutch Country and seen the same military precision that's used to get people into the restaurant and get them the food on the table, that's where the you know the idea came for Ohana. But at the same time, what's been Tough for the staff that works at this restaurant is the fact that, again, it's been around for 25, 26 years at this point. And the fact that it was an experience that people enjoyed. So they'd come back with their family for their Walt Disney World vacation. Oh, yeah, you grab a drink at the bar, a couple of drinks at the bar, and then go to Ohana and eat and then go back to your room and sleep. I mean, that's vacation, man. Did I ever tell you about the the time that Laurel and I got a poly bungalow? for one night and if you rent the bungalow which mm-hmm. again it's it's we, laurel had points we had to burn literally mm-hmm. had to burn like within a week okay so that's why we did it. i would never i mean i could never rationalize paying that much for a hotel room but because we had to burn the points we were like i'm not, I'm not literally not leaving this room mm-hmm. for the 19 hours that i'm going to be in i'm going to stay in this room and enjoy everything that this, this room has to offer like used all the showers slept in all the beds like did, <laughs> did everything we but one thing you can do if you're staying in the bungalow is get mm. Ohana room service. Oh, no. And Jim, so, that, so we ordered it, and it was just the two of us. Yeah. And I knew we were in trouble mm-hmm. when, you know, I said, you know, I called up and I said, I'd like to order the, the Ohana room service. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, how many people do you have? And I said, two. And there was this long pause, like, are you hungry? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, just, just. Tone it down if you need to, but mm-hmm. you know, there's two of us and I am, I am hungry. I was in the park all day. Jim, first of all, it took two people mm-hmm. to carry the food in. Mm-hmm. And you remember like in those old Hollywood movies mm-hmm. where they're showing like ancient Egypt and they have the king being carried on two long poles in a chair. Mm-hmm. That's how they brought the food in. Like mm-hmm. two people had to carry the cart or the thing in which the meat was stored mm-hmm. from Ohana. It was, it was the size of a small television in the 1990s. That was the oh. pile of, like they made sure, I think honestly what they were thinking was, we don't want to walk all the way out to the bungalows. We're going to give this person so much food that there is no possible way mm-hmm. that they will ask for seconds. And I think that's what they did. It was, it was an astounding, like you looked at that and said, I don't know if there's a if there's a professional competitive eater 
mm-hmm. who could eat this? Like, did is, is the name Kobayashi on my room <laughs> reservation with me? Is that what they were looking at? Does it, am I confused here? I ate that, and when we we ordered like at six at ten o'clock, I went back for more. The next mm-hmm. morning, I had steak for breakfast because and and didn't Jim did not put a dent mm-hmm. in that pile of food. I can't. It had to be, and I'm not exaggerating. Mm-hmm. It had to be twenty pounds of food. It was just the most amazing spread. Everything was meticulously wrapped, mm-hmm. and there's no way you could eat it all. I mean, there's just no way two people could eat it all. It was it was fantastic. Because people have been going to Ohana for 25 years, and they'll come back and they'll bring their family, and oh, yeah. you know they're like, "Well, wait a minute, where's the mixed green salad?" And it's like, "Well, we stopped serving that 10 years ago." But but where's the pork skewer? And it's like, "Well, again, we we simplified the menu to speed things along." And it just every so often there will be kind of an ugly moment where somebody will berate the server yeah. for where is this thing from 10 years ago? And it's like, but at the same time, it's like, "Well, look, you know, where were you when we did the lettuce wrap?" You know, that's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. The the noodle thing is the thing that I don't like the noodle course. I, I'm not I'm not sure why that's still there, but the, the salad thing is fine with me. The meats mm-hmm. are, are all great. And then um the peanut sauce. Like I would I would probably inject that in my veins if I could. You get talking with people about Ohana and just the weird edge that suddenly creeps into the conversation. What do you mean the spicy mustard? Are you insane? Of course it's the <laughs> right. peanut sauce. The spicy mustard's good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> So, but anyway, all right. That's that's the, 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 the overview am... of Ohana, which again, weird influences from Pennsylvania to Kachi country and Brazil, but became a I'm hit gonna, restaurant. I think I'm going to order Pittsburgh. Brazilian steak for dinner now. I think <laughs> See what's on Uber Eats. Well, and enjoy and 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 enjoy your bread pudding at, at <laughs> That was fantastic. Good show, Jim. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including the Joseph Mankiewicz series on ideas Disney had for Epcot way back in the 1970s. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, LenitTouringPlans.com. On next week's show, The History of Disney's Sci-Fi Dine-In Restaurant. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be tending to his herd of baby goats at the 2021 Fredericksburg Blue Bonnet Festival on Saturday, April 17th at the Texas Dance Hall and Wedding Venue in beautiful downtown Fredericksburg, Texas. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.